0: We want to take some time and and study the scriptures together. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We're reading from Parshat Noach, the portion about Noah. And I want to remind you of three details about humanity and the origins of humanity that, that we pick up from this week's portion, but also from Barashit, the first reading of the Torah. Three details that are really important, and I think you know them, but I just want to remind you of them. The first one is this. Humanity was created by God. You knew that, didn't you? Because we are created by God, we're all children of God so we can say we are B'nai Elohim. We are children of God. Sons and daughters of God. So look around the room. All these people you see are children of God. They are sons and daughters of the Lord. And we can say this also from the writings of Genesis, that humanity is a common origin through Adam and Eve, and so thus we're all part of one great family, and if you look around you'll notice something, that though we all look a little different, we're all human beings. That's important to realize. We're living in an age where it's not obvious to everybody that they're talking to people when they're talking and we are B'nai Adam. We are children, sons and daughters of Adam, or sons and daughters of man. And then a third detail is humanity needed a restart. And through Noah, we have a restart as a family, so we're all B'nai Noah, we're all sons and daughters of Noah. So we're B'nei Elohim, we're B'nei Adam, B'nei Noah. We are all of those things, every one of us. No one comes from something else. No matter what country you were born in, no matter what land you were born in, no matter the color of your skin, no matter what race people say you are, you're from the human race, and you are a human, and for better or worse, we are all in this together, and we're one big uh, mishmash mishpacha So we have a shared history. We were created in the image of God, and our shared history means that all the branches of the human family are connected to one family tree. There, there aren't several family trees. There's one family tree. And we also have a shared history. We don't always do so well together. How many of you knew that coming into this time? Yeah, we don't always do so well together. We need help. Who can admit it? I need help. I need help and we need help. We're broken and we can't fix ourselves without God and all efforts to fix ourselves without God will ultimately fail. In the coming weeks we'll read about Abraham and the way God worked to bring forth a man. One man who trusted God. And joined him with one woman who trusted God so that they would bring forth a covenant family that would bring forth tribes who would continue in the covenant that would be together to form a nation. And that nation would bring forth Messiah. So that through the covenant that God made with this nation and through this Messiah, the entire world could be blessed. And all nations could find a new kind of life and a new way of living. It is an incredible story. It's an awesome story. And a story that can continue to inspire us and to inform us about how to live for God. And I think that's a good introduction for our study this weekend. Turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. We want to look at a few verses that describe Noah. Three qualities that he had that are described in one verse. It says in this verse, In his generation Noah was a man, righteous and wholehearted. Noah walked with God. Three qualities. Number one, he was righteous. Number two, he was wholehearted. And number three, he walked with God. All three things are his distinguishing characteristics. What's important to see is there's even more than that. That's a foundation because without getting into a right relationship with God, you're going to have difficulty walking with God. Adam and Eve had difficulty walking for even a few days, it seems with him. And when God came close, what did Adam do? He hid. So when when you need to be reconciled to God, you need forgiveness, you need to be restored to him, but you don't want it or you're just ashamed. The tendency is to hide from God. And when you hide from God, it reminds me of what little children do. They put their hands over their eyes, and they say, you can't see me. And they confuse their own inability to see with invisibility. And we all have seen it. We know that people do it. But it's not just little children who do that. With God, many people do the same thing. You can't see me. We turn off the the lights. We do it in the dark, whatever it is. We close the door and we think we're hiding from God. Noah was righteous, wholehearted, and he walked with God. Verse 10 And he fathered three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He was a father, he fathered three sons. This is an important detail. The reason it's located right next to this previous statement is because they join together to say something. When you're thinking about your purpose in life, don't forget your family. When you're thinking about your gifts and talents and what you can do that's meaningful and what can make a difference, remember this, God is a God of generations. He's interested in this generation, the next generation, and the next generation. And then he's not interested anymore? No. He's still interested. He's interested to the thousandth generation. And even beyond that. Now let's go to the next two verses which describe the situation, the context which helps us understand how how stark and how clear the contrast was between Noah and those around him. It says the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with, you know what it says in Hebrew? The earth was filled with Hamas. Hamas in Hebrew means violence. In Arabic it's a little different. But in Hebrew, It nails it. When you hear the word Hamas on the news, think this, violence. The earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and yes, it was corrupt, for all living things had corrupted their ways on the earth. Now we know where it says all living things, it's excluding Noah. So This was introduced first so that we understand he is an exception to this. So the earth was corrupt before God, and we can understand this idea of being before God several ways. One is in in view of God. It was before his face. He could see. That's why it says God saw the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. And also from his perspective, not only could he see, but he was evaluating and he was saying, I know what I made this earth for. I know what I made humanity for. This humanity has become corrupt. And then it makes the statement, the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon that and he made a determination that it was necessary to start over." that this generation had gone too far and was not ready for repentance and redemption. The earth was in this condition, the world was in this condition, but Noah was not. And that gives us a picture of what it means to walk with God and to be in right standing with him it means that God has more influence on us than the world does around us. He was walking with God. And God initiates a restart. He gives Noah understanding in advance what he's about to do. And I was trying to to imagine the, the raw emotion of getting this prophetic word from the Lord where the Lord says, it's so corrupt, I'm going to destroy humanity, except for you. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know how hard it is. If you've ever lost neighbors that you cared about, you know it's quite difficult. If you've ever seen uh, natural tragedies, um, mudslides, tsunamis, hurricanes that claim lives or floods that claim lives? Doesn't your heart just go out when when so many people are hurt and suffering? Can you imagine having to live through a time period where you knew you were the only ones who were going to escape? How sad it must have been. How terrible it must have been. And yet how necessary Even in the midst of the corruption, the pending impending judgment, there must be a need for hope beyond that. Because God is looking to bring a future. To bring something that's restored and redeemed through this so that his original purposes can be accomplished. The Lord knows it's not going to be easy. Uh, But no one needed to know what he was facing so he could be prepared. He needed to have clear enough vision and understanding and commitment. Sometimes in our lives, we want quick fixes. Better to say all the time we want quick fixes. Sometimes we're patient, even though we want a quick fix. Sometimes we are, and sometimes we're not. But Noah was given instruction that meant there's no quick fix. He had to learn things. He had to dedicate himself to things. He had to learn to build an ark. Who'd ever built an ark? And yeah, there was no YouTube, and there was no... um, There was, what's the name of the museum near Cincinnati now with the Ark? Oh, come on. I can't be the only one who can't remember. There's this new Ark. Williamstown, Kentucky. And what's the name of it? Okay, well, we, we can describe it, we can't even name it. Okay, hallelujah. Tomorrow I will know. It's the Ark in Kentucky. In Kentucky. <laughs> like it's called the... Encounter. The Ark Encounter? Okay, the Ark Encounter. I know Tom and D. Crow went there, they sent me pictures. It's big. Yeah. But imagine you're Noah and you've got to build an ark, do you go to the Ikea store (laughs) to get the flat pack ark with instructions? You know? (laughs) Think about what's necessary. You have to have timber. So you have to have all the skills to grow the kinds of trees that will be straight enough and shaped correctly, and the right kind of timber. You have to learn all the woodworking skills. Rick Gray loves to work with wood. Um, It takes skill. It takes practice. It takes tools. Noah had to learn the stuff. And it was big. He had to handle a lot of wood by himself with his family. He had to dedicate his resources. I mean, think about this. He had to pay for it. Whether it was with money or with labor or whatever, the Lord didn't say to him, listen, here's all the gold you need. Go and buy an ark. He said, you make an ark for yourself. Genesis 6.14, make yourself an ark. And then Genesis 7.2 has this key phrase, in order to preserve. In order to preserve. So Noah had to learn how to work with all the materials that were necessary. And he had one chance to do it right. Because there's no other opportunity. If it fails, hasta Nope, it's forever gone in order to preserve. God's purpose was to preserve life and to multiply them in the future in order to refill the earth. He was to take animals. He was to take people. And it says that the Lord spoke to Noah and blessed him and then gave him this command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Can you imagine how hard it would be to receive that command at a time when the earth is being destroyed and when you're going to start all over again? This is, it's like being moved to another planet. Just you and your family and the animals that you need to live on that planet and being told, okay, fill it up. Fill it up and get it right this time. God blessed them. And so after the flood, it was time for the earth to be renewed and to be repopulated. I think that it must have been hard to imagine all that Noah would face and all that would be required of him in order to fulfill what God had in mind. Because After the floods settle, and after Noah and all the animals come out of the ark, the, the Torah portion goes on to say that then Noah began to be a farmer, a man who worked the earth. Now, he may well have thought that his whole identity was tied up in woodworking. You know how people can use their talents and feel like, my talents are me. My talents define my purpose. Well, it turned out that the Lord was not even interested in a museum for the ark. The ark was a temporary means by which life would be preserved. But at the end, the ark was... It was no longer necessary. What was necessary was to learn to farm. What was necessary was to learn to plant a vineyard and to grow grapes and to harvest them. What was necessary is to learn not to get drunk from the grapes and the wine that you harvested. Hard lesson. But sometimes when God is leading us and he's directing us, It's clear what we need to do, but it's not clear what it's going to take from us, what it's going to require of us. And I took notice of the age that was given for Noah, 600 years old. Can you imagine sticking with one thing like that? How many think that a project that takes a year is a long project? And if you've ever raised kids, you know... A project that takes 18 years is a really long project. It turns out you're not finished at 18. And you may not be finished at 40. And when they have kids and so forth, there's another phase to the project and so on. so 600 years, 600 years where you're basing everything on a word from the Lord and nothing else and you are also (laughs) basing it on things you've never experienced. Because it wasn't raining. You know, water was rising up prior to that time, not coming down. So, you know, even the idea, why are you doing this? Well, it's gonna rain. Well, what's rain? Well, it's water that falls out of the sky. (laughs) And the scientists among them, among those time who had no evidence of rain, probably thought he was an idiot based on evidence and facts because this had not happened. It's hard to imagine that Noah really could anticipate everything that was going to be taken, everything that was going to be required, everything that God wanted to do and that helps me understand that sometimes we don't really understand all of that's going to be required of us. And that reminded me of a story of a Texas billionaire, you may have heard this, who called all the young men in his town to his house and said, I've I've got a a challenge for you, young men. Gather around my Texas-sized swimming pool, and the first one of you that swims across this pool, I'm going to give a million dollars to. Here's the cat. The pool's filled with alligators. Everybody looks around, takes a step back, and then there's a splash. And this one guy swims with all of his might and somehow gets through this terrible pool filled with alligators gets to the other side and gets out. He's shaking and he's just hot, boiling. The billionaire comes up to him and says, well, I'm a man of my word. Snaps his fingers and a pile of cash, a million dollars is presented to him. Young man says, hold that for a minute. I got a question. Who pushed me in? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I think of that story when I think of the Messianic movement. It's like, who pushed me into this pool full with alligators? Who pushed me into the life that God called me into? Do you ever feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. You, looked, you looked carefully and you thought, oh man. And then you get pushed in the pool. And all you can do is swim with all you got (laughs) to get to the other side. You and I have a fantastic history. We come from Noah. We have a great calling. We're called as a messianic synagogue to remember the ark. To remember the covenant that God made, to remember that He brought this family through that terrible time in order to accomplish His purposes. And you and I have a calling, because we're a messianic synagogue, because we're a congregation that centers on Yeshua the Messiah because we honor the heritage of the Jewish people and the calling of the Jewish people, because we recognize that through Yeshua the Messiah, not only are we redeemed, but God has made a plan that all nations, people from every nationality, every background, even our enemies, can find blessing together because we're a Messianic synagogue, we're called to lift up the name of Yeshua as a banner for all the nations and to be concerned, to be passionate and committed to the restoration of the Jewish people to God and the high calling to which he's called us. You see, it is not the last thing that God wants to do to just save the Jewish people he wants to save us so that he can spread the good news around the whole world. So that he can accomplish his original purpose. Which is that the earth would be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that all who live on this earth could be redeemed. That's his plan. That's his purpose. He doesn't want to destroy. He wants to redeem. He wants to rebuild. And it's a high calling. The calling of the Jewish people is a calling not only to be together, but to have concern for the whole world. It doesn't stop right around us. We have a high calling that can only be fully accomplished when we embrace Yeshua's Lord and Mashiach. God's looking for us to be faithful, to be filled with faith, to have courage and hope and love and concern for other people, uh, to be concerned for the generations to come, to live lives of service and generosity and to stand shoulder to shoulder together, to, to serve together, to show love to one another. We're called to be generous, and generosity comes from the heart generosity is a condition of the heart, and it does touch how we think, and how we act, and how we plan, and our priorities. When we are generous together, God does great and awesome things. Noah gave 600 years plus, and he started all over again at the end. Think about it. He had become a master shipbuilder. And that's the last ship he ever built, as far as the record goes. That was the end of that experience. And then he became a novice farmer and vineyard master. When we're generous in many different ways, we can really make a difference as a congregation. When we're generous with our ties, bringing our ties to the congregation then we really are standing together. And some have a lot and some have a little, but when we're generous and we bring the full measure of our ties to the congregation, God adds it all up together and he takes note even of the widow who has only a coin but ends up giving more than anybody else. When we're generous by giving our time, by worshiping together, by serving in the ministries of the congregation, by gathering together and praying for one another. Then we can grow up as a congregation and we can carry on in this high calling that we have. Noah and his family made it through. But it didn't stop there. It wasn't just get saved from the flood. It was continue to walk with me and be a blessing and fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. That is the intentions of God. We're living in a time when people are looking for other ways of fixing the world, leaving God out of the equation. Many people have good intentions, but they lack something necessary. But sometimes those of us who know that God must be included are not thinking about how to fix anything. We just want to get on that ark and like ride the flood. And we need to have a different attitude. As we look on and continue to read, we'll discover something, that there was a progression of vision from the time of Noah to the time of Abraham. And Noah understood that there was impending judgment. He accepted it. But when Abraham first heard word of judgment, think of what his response was. Lord, don't do it. He interceded. He had a heart that wanted to see people rescued. And we need to learn from Noah that we must be preserved, even in the midst of corruption, but we need to learn from Abraham that it's not just for our own sakes, it's for the sake of others around us, even those who don't seem to merit it. Let mercy be shown all around us as God is merciful to us, but not only to us. So great stories for us to be reading, profound stories that are meant to inspire us and bewilder us, and sometimes they're unbelievable, someone said, but they're unforgettable. And we're called to to make them real for ourselves, to learn from them, to let these lessons really touch and shape us and to apply them to the time we're living in now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you Lord for your ancient word. Thank you for the deposits of goodness that you have put in our people that's been recorded through Torah. Thank you for the lives of those who have been faithful who went before us who presented themselves to you with humility in obedience and who lived lives of faith. Let us be such people And Lord, I pray for our hearts that we would be generous, that we would be generous in all ways, that this congregation could be as an ark for our own city and for the world. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord, to bring the good news of Yeshua all over the world. Use us, Lord, to plant Messianic congregations in many cities, in many countries. Use us, Lord, to raise up shepherds for the house of Israel. Use us, Lord. So that ultimately the goodness of Yeshua would be proclaimed everywhere. That we would lift up the name of Yeshua and that everyone would be drawn to you. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Long walk, thank you, sir. You want to chant? Uh, go ahead. Either, way. Either way. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Can we get this microphone on for Aaron? Yes, because I'm hard to hear. Yes. Am i Am on there? All right. Okay, as always, I'll start with the English. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant each and every one of you his peace. Yivarechah donai v'ishmarechah Ya'er Adonai Panavalecha V'yachunecha isa Adonai Adonai Panavalecha V'yasein l'cha God bless you all. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Thanks so much. Which way did we